Our children are part of our church community. We are not to view our kids as outsiders, but insiders. They belong to the church. Now, credo-baptists and paedo-baptists, which are just the fancy words for people who believe we should baptize those who give profession of faith versus those who baptize infants, they are going to understand the precise nature of how our children are to be considered part of the church in different ways. But nonetheless, there is this general sense in which we all agree that our Christian children are to be considered as one of us. They belong to the church. And our text this morning is one of the many reasons why we think that. And the logic is, as you will see, is that the text is actually primarily addressed to our children. This is a text that Paul wrote to our kids. So this means that when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and then when he had Tychicus deliver it to the church to be read aloud on Sunday morning, Paul anticipated that the children would be worshiping alongside their parents, hearing the word of God, and expected to obey it. We model this Pauline anticipation by practicing what has come to be known as family worship, which simply means we expect our children to worship with their families. Now, we do nuance that according to the scriptures, because as you will see, when Paul addresses children, he writes to them and expects them to obey, that means there's a certain kind of child he has in mind, and that's one that's at least old enough to hear the word, to understand the word, and to put it into practice. And so this is why if you have children that are not quite at that age, they're not really capable of hearing and reasoning and obeying the word, that's why we show grace there. And we allow you to make whatever decision you feel is best for all parties involved, you, your child, and your fellow church members. But what family worship means is that as soon as your child is capable of hearing the sermon and understanding all the words of our worship, the songs, the confessions of sins, the sermon, when your child is, is capable of hearing these words of worship and accepting them, understanding them, and putting them to practice, then as is Paul's expectation, we expect them to be with the church. We expect them to hear the instructions from the scripture that God has for them. And sometimes, like in our text today, it is explicitly and expressly directed to them. Today's text is for our kids. At least the first half is for our kids. And the instruction that Paul focuses on today is to honor Jesus by obeying our parents. If Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, please? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. When you have found the text, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Thus saith the Lord, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This bars the reading of God's word. Would you please be seated? The Bible is very clear 
about how serious disobedience is, especially disobedience to parents. As a matter of fact, I have just two examples from Paul on the screen for you. Uh, Drew, I'm sorry, you'll need to go over two slides for this. So the first one here is from 2 Timothy 3 where, where Paul is anticipating the end times and all of the bad things that happen in the end times. And he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulties. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. I obviously emphasize that for you. The text didn't emphasize that. But do you see, Paul is not afraid to bring this up amongst all these other sins that we normally think of when we think of the word sin. And this is actually pretty tame when it comes to Paul. Read with me what he says in Romans chapter 1. Oh, forgive me, I'll have to go over two slides. Romans chapter 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, again, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And you can flip over now one more slide to the text. Thank you. So do you see how seriously Paul takes disobedience to parents? Paul listed, he's listing sins here. He lists things like murder. He lists things like, before this homosexuality, he lists things like foolishness and faithless, ruthless, malice. And in that list disobedience to parents. And what is something that is worthy of death? Disobedience to parents. You deserve to die for that. And let me tell you, uh, pun intended, Paul is being deadly serious. You can read, we don't have it on the text, you can just mark down Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21. And you will see in Deuteronomy 21, although the, the context was limited, so be careful before you run wild with your imagination, in the Old Testament law, disobedience to parents was a capital crime. You could put your child to death for constant disobedience. Disobeying parents is a very, very serious sin. And our society does not strike me as one that takes obedience to parents nearly seriously enough. Just to give one example, um, I'm not saying that every single children's movie does this, so please don't hear me saying that, but it's not uncommon to find movies that are created with children in mind, children's movies and children's shows, and they always present the child as like the enlightened hero of the story. And the parents are these out-of-touch antagonists who are holding their children back from some kind of true expression. Dads are often portrayed in movies and TV shows as bumbling idiots. And moms are often these flighty, ditzy, out-of-touch women. And the children are essentially trying to break free from their ditzy, moronic parents who just don't get the way of the world. They're holding them back. So essentially, these, these shows would sort of characterize parents as these old-timey traditionalists who are in the way of progress 
they are catechizing our children to disobey. They're teaching our children from such a young age, your parents don't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. They're holding you back. And like so many American children, apparently Ephesian children in Paul's day also needed a new kind of catechism. They needed to be trained to obey their parents. To see their parents as those who love them more than any of their peers, more than any of their teachers, more than anyone else in the world. They need to be trained to see their parents as those who actually not only know what's best for them, but actually want what's best for them. I can tell you, I find the experience this when I became a dad. I promise you, Layla accepted, there is no one else on the face of the earth who has Matthew's interest more in mind than me. And he's going to grow up one day and he's going to think his friends know what's best for him. His friends don't love him. His friends want something from him. And as soon as he doesn't give that to them, they go and find new friends. I will never do that to my son. Our parents love us more than anyone on the face of the earth. And they know what's best for us. And our children are being taught that the opposite of that is true. And apparently that was happening in Ephesus. And so Paul steps in to make it crystal clear that our parents love us. Our parents know what's best for us. And so we need to obey them. But here's what I love what Paul does in this text. He does not just come the way I kind of just did just yelling and wagging his finger. He didn't just come at our children shaking his finger, shame on you, obey your parents. He treats our children with the exact same respect that he treats us. When he talked about husbands, he gave husbands a commandment. But then he also gave husbands the reason for the commandment and a motivation to help them perform it. When he talked about wives, he gave them a commandment, but he also gave them the reason for the commandment and he gave them the motivation to pursue it. And he does not just come at our children and command them, obey your parents and walk away. He treats them with the same respect, giving them not just the commandment, but the ground for it and the motivation for it. And so I want to speak to our kids and I want to give them what Paul has given them, the ground for why they should obey their parents and then the motivation that will encourage them to obey their parents. So let's begin with the ground. Number one, the ground, Paul says, kind of makes it simple for us today. Why should kids obey their parents? Kind of circular, you could almost argue, very simple, because it's right. It's the right thing to do. Look with me again at verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why should Christian children obey their parents? Because it's right, because Christians always seek to do the right thing. In every area of our life, our job is to seek to do the right thing, and obeying our parents is the right thing, so you should do it. This is something that's been very obvious in what we call natural theology, where God has revealed himself outside of scripture and in nature and in conscience. And this is a commandment that's very simple and basic to creation, which is why nearly every society on the face of the earth, even societies that have never read a Bible, don't know anything about Christianity, have always understood that parents have authority over their children. That's never been like a controversial take. It's just natural. We just all know it's so painfully obvious that parents who are so intimately involved in the creation of this child have a natural authority over the child. No society has ever been run by children. We've always understood that it is right for children to obey parents, not the other way around. However, even though this is obvious in nature, 
God didn't just leave it to nature. He revealed it in his Ten Commandments very, very clearly. And that's what Paul utilizes to back up his point, right? So Paul's saying, why should children obey their parents? Because it's right. And you say, okay, Paul, how do you know it's right? Prove it to me. He's going to say, okay, God has made it very clear that this is what he intends. Look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. In the fifth commandment, all men, all people are told to honor their father and mother. And that this commandment is so important that God attaches a promise to it. So Paul says, how do I know it's right? Because God put this in his Ten Commandments and even gave a special promise to it. This is very, very important. This is a huge commandment from God. Now, admittedly, um, honor is a bigger word than just obedience. Um, Honor incorporates many things. For example, when we honor our parents, that takes into account how we feel about them. How you feel about your parents is how you honor them. It takes into account when your parents need your help. When your parents are in need of you, you honor them by taking care of them, by helping them. So there are lots of ways to honor our parents. But Paul knows that, at least as it pertains to children, the key element of honor, the the most important way for you as children to honor your parents is through obedience. And that's why Paul focuses on it. How do kids put into practice the fifth commandment? They obey their parents. So why should children obey their parents? Because it's right. Because God commanded it. Because that's how God intended the world to operate. However, as we all know, doing the right thing, especially in a broken world, is really hard. Doing the right thing is oftentimes the hardest thing to do. So even if we know I'm supposed to obey my parents, that's hard. What motivation has God given you to help encourage you to be obedient children? Well, God has actually given you a really, really special motivating promise. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul reminds us that the fifth commandment is the first time and only time a commandment has a specific promise attached to it. God promises to do something to his covenant people if they are diligent to obey this commandment. And that promise is to live well and to live long in the land. To put it simply, God promises you that through faithful obedience to your parents, you will live long, happy lives. This is not prosperity gospel. This is text. This is crystal clear Bible verse. God has promised you will live long, happy lives if his covenant people obey their authorities. Uh, What it made me think of was, uh, I'm not a Trekkie. I'm not really into Star Trek very much. So I don't know if we have any Star Trek nerds in, in the congregation. But there's one thing I do know about Star Trek. And it's Spock's famous, I don't know if it's even just Spock, but Spock is a one character I know, and he has this famous little tagline, right? He does the two little fingers thing. And what does he say? Jesse, what does he say? Live long and prosper. That's a great blessing to give to someone. That's the blessing God gave you. God said, live long and prosper if you obey this commandment. You will live long in the land and things will go well for you. You will prosper and you will live long. Live long and prosper. That's a divine promise attached to obedience. That's the motivation for our children. You want to live a long, happy life? Obey your parents. 
It's not legalism. It's not prosperity gospel. This is Paul. This is Paul. Now, keep in mind, we do need to nuance this a little bit. Keep in mind that when we talk about covenantal blessings, like God gives this general covenant blessing, um, this is going to encompass a huge amount of people over a long period of time. So we are not, so, so please don't take God's promise as never, ever, ever in a fallen world having any exceptions whatsoever. Yes, there are going to be exceptions in how God uh, works in the world. And this means in our fallen world, there will be times when very good disobedient, or forgive me, very good obedient children die premature deaths. There will be times when very disobedient, unfaithful kids live very long and happy lives. In a fallen world, especially as acts of judgment, these, these things will happen. So we are to understand covenantal promises, not as a promise that never has any exceptions, but as the way that God, generally speaking, his ordinary work of providence is going to bring this about in most cases. That if our nation is filled with Christians, and that if all of these Christians throughout the nation are diligent to be faithful and to obey their lawful authorities, things are going to go well for us in this nation, generally speaking. Doesn't mean there won't be exceptions. But generally speaking, we will bless our land, we will bless our nation if it's filled with Christians who respect their elders. And by the way, I have to make a side note, a deep side note here. We're going to jump into the deep end of the pool for a sec. The theology of Paul that he's been talking about in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 has, has really become crystal clear here in chapter 6. Because I, I want us to, to not miss what is amazing here. Paul has taken a commandment which was originally given to who? The Jews. The Jews were the ones who received the Ten Commandments. They were the ones who received this covenantal blessing. If you obey this commandment, you will live long. And where will they live long? In the land. What does that mean from an Old Testament perspective? That's Cana. That's the land of Canaan that God promised to Abraham. So when this commandment was first given, it was given to a particular ethnic people and the promise only extended to a particular little slice of land in the Middle East. And then here comes Paul taking that commandment and its promise with him. And who does he give it to? Not the Jews. This is for the Gentiles now. And where are they living? What's the title of this book? Is this to the Canaanites? Is this to the Israelites? What's the land here? Ephesus. You see how Paul, very crystal clear, believes that the Gentiles have been incorporated into the covenant with an equal standing? The old covenant promises belong to us now. They're ours now. You see how the, the new covenant fulfills the old and brings us into that new covenant? The land promise still exists today, but it's a lot better. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit the earth. The land promise is no longer a tiny little slice in the Middle East. It's Ephesus. It's Roswell. It's everywhere the gospel goes. The whole world has been promised to us. And the whole world has not just been promised to physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to every knee, every tribe, every tongue, all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ become part of the covenant people who have been promised the world.
Paul's theology is becoming crystallized right before our eyes. And so this is the motivation for all of us. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, no matter where you're living, there is a promise, there is a covenant blessing attached to obeying proper authority. And because Paul has a has, has attached this promise to the fifth commandment, that means that I can safely make application to all of us in this room, not just our children. Paul, I know, is specifically talking to the children, but I, as the preacher, can make the application to all of us. What I'm saying is that the blessing of our nation, by God's grace, is not squarely on the shoulders of our children. Because the Ten Commandments were written for all people, not just kids. The commandment to honor father and mother is something everyone in this room still has to obey. It doesn't matter how old you are. This is a commandment for all of us. We never stop honoring father and mother. Certainly, there is a shift of authority when we start a new family. The Bible is very clear about that. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So obviously, the obedience of a 40-year-old married man is very different from a 10-year-old single child. So we don't necessarily obey them in all the same ways. But as I said, honor is bigger than just obedience. You never, ever, ever stop honoring your parents. We must live in a land that respects our elders, respects lawful authority, and respects our parents. And there are lots of ways to do that. I just want to, just briefly, I won't give names, but I just want to give a shout out because I know that there are a lot of people in this room today who have made major sacrifices in their lives to take care of older or ill parents. And I know it's not easy, but that is the commandment. Your parents did a lot for you when you were helpless. And we honor them and we love them by reciprocating that and making sacrifices to honor them when they need us. I know that there are a lot of you in this room who are working very hard to honor your parents. And I just want to remind you and encourage you to keep pressing on in that good work. I want to remind you that the Lord sees you and the Lord will bless you. He will reward you. It's not the most glamorous of work. It's not the easiest of work. But there is a covenantal promise for this life and I would argue for the next for those who faithfully honor and take care of their parents. So for those of you in this room, thank you for doing that. Please keep doing that. Now, I would love, personally, I would love to end our sermon here. Right? We've covered a lot of ground already. We've, we've got our commandment to honor our parents. We've got the reason because it's right, because God commanded it. And we have the motivations because you will live long and prosper. So it seems like we're done, doesn't it? But Paul knows something. Paul's a smart guy. And Paul knows that there's one major potential stumbling block that can ruin this whole plan. Parents put it less jokingly, bad parenting. Bad parenting is a major stumbling block that will prevent us as a people and more specifically our children from receiving their covenant blessings through obedience to their parents. So let's look at Paul's potential stumbling block and see what we can learn from it. Let's look at how to avoid, generally speaking, bad parenting. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting that he singles out fathers here. 
Uh, and I want to explain why he does that. Paul is not at all insinuating that mothers have no role in developing and instructing children. We all know, and Paul is very, we can see from other places in scripture, Paul is well aware of the obvious, crucial element and involvement that mothers have in the rearing of children. And, and, and we actually see that in our very text, because notice the Ten Commandments do not tell children to honor their father. It's honor your father and your mother. Children have been called to obey both of their parents with equal authority. Here's my favorite example of what this looks like for our kids. This is a really helpful example for our kids. If you go and ask one of your parents if you can do something, and one of your parents says no, what are you oftentimes tempted to do after that? To go ask the other one and hope that they say, give you the answer that you want. Let me tell you, that is an act of disobedience. When one parent has spoken, the case is closed. Because you are not told to honor the parent that tells you what you want to hear. You're not told to honor the father who cares what mom says. You are told to honor father and mother. So the whole thing we discussed last week of male submission, to kids, that has no relevance in their life. That's relevant to other areas, but to children, it's not like the father is above mom. To children, you obey both of your parents with equal authority. Paul knows this. Paul knows that mothers have a huge influence over the authority of the kids and how kids are raised. The reason he singles out fathers is he's actually now demonstrating exactly what we talked about last week, about how fathers have the ultimate responsibility. They're not the only ones who do the work, but they are the ones who bear the ultimate responsibility. They bear the ultimate responsibility for how children are raised, for the parenting strategies, for successes and for failures. These are ultimately on dad's shoulders. And so what kind of parenting are fathers, and by extension mothers, what kind of parenting strategy does Paul give to you to best ensure that your children will live long and prosper? And I think we can describe it in one word. Balance. Balance. Paul calls parents to a balanced parenting lifestyle. Parents need balance. In other words, when something is balanced, that means it's not falling to one extreme or the other. There are two extremes in verse 4 that Paul warns parents against. He wants us to be balanced. So let's look at these extremes. One of these extremes, this is my title, not the texts, I'm calling oppressive parenting. One extreme is oppressive parenting. Paul condemns oppressive parenting. In other words, that's what he means in verse 4 when he says, read with me, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There are some ways in which we can parent where we're actually stewarding anger. We're, we're going to reap anger because we're sowing it in them. And we need to avoid parenting strategies that are so cruel and so oppressive that we're taunting our kids to hate us. We're, we're daring them to dislike us. We're provoking, we're kindling their anger. Now, Paul doesn't give us these specifics. He doesn't say, here's what that looks like. We sort of have to turn to natural theology for that. We, we have to see what has worked, what hasn't. And in my studies, there were four examples that I think are very helpful that I want to draw our attention to. Here are four ways where if you're a parent and you do these things, I would, I would lovingly challenge you. I think you're a little oppressive. One of the ways is that we need to avoid excessively severe discipline. 
it is possible to overpunish. It is possible for the crime to not fit the punishment. We cannot be cruel. We cannot treat our children like they are property. They are human beings with the image of God. They have their own personal dignity. We cannot be excessively cruel and physically abuse our children. Remember, the goal of discipline, believe it or not, is not retribution. It's character building. The Bible is very clear. There is a difference between judgment and chastisement. Christians are free from judgment. God will never judge us. We, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Yet, bad things happen to us, and the Bible calls that God's discipline, His chastisement, because it's not to punish us for our sins, but to change us so that we will be made more into the image of Christ. The goal of parenting is not retribution. You're not just, you did something wrong, and I'm going to make you regret it. Discipline is, you did something wrong, and you need a consequence that's going to keep you from doing that again in the future. You're not trying to judge them. You're trying to character build them. So if your goal is retribution, you're going to be cruel. You're going to be harsh and oppressive. And that will make your children despise you and the God you're giving them. Avoid excessively cruel punishments. Number two, avoid unreasonable demands and expectations. It's good to expect a lot from our kids. I'd be willing to bet maybe... Probably a lot of parents in this room maybe don't expect enough from their kids. That's just what statistics have been telling me. I don't know. I'm not thinking of anyone personally. But nonetheless, it is still a, a danger if our expectations are too high, if we expect things from our kids that they can never reasonably gain, then they are just going to live a life of failure. Their whole life is going to be letting us down. And if all they know is failure and letting my parents down, that will create resentment and aggression and anger and discouragement and you will provoke their anger. They will not want to obey you if it's impossible to obey you. So have reasonable expectations so you don't set them up to constantly fail. Um, another third, another really important form of oppressive parenting is avoid arbitrariness. Avoid being arbitrary. What it means to be arbitrary is it means that your rules and your practices are not consistent and they're not clear. One day this is wrong, another day it's not wrong. Sometimes my parents let me do this, sometimes they don't. If, if your child senses that you're just kind of making this up as you go, you're just kind of going by your whims, ah, I feel like doing this today, ah, I feel like doing this today, that inconsistency is terrible for children. They're not going to respond well to arbitrariness and consistency. In other words, we don't want our kids to think that we're just going through this parenting thing willy-nilly. Yeah, I'll parent like this today. Maybe tomorrow will be different. I don't know. That's a terrible foundation for kids. It's going to make them feel uncomfortable and afraid. They need consistency. Number four, related but different, avoid hypocrisy. If your children are being held accountable to live a disciplined and holy life, but they constantly see you living in an undisciplined and an unholy life, that is going to provoke their anger. Why do I have to obey God, but you don't? I remember I used to think this all the time uh, when I was playing football in high school. If I were to ever go out on the field and cuss some guy out, scream in his face, push him, cuss him out, I would get in so much trouble. So much trouble. But then you know what my coaches would do the second the referee made a call that didn't go their way? They'd run out on the field and they'd scream at the guy and cuss him out. Well, why am I having to run laps and sit next practice for doing the thing that you do all the time? 
And it made me mad and it made me angry and I didn't want to obey them. I didn't respect them anymore. Don't do that to your kids. Walk the walk. Model the kind of discipline and holiness that you want them to live. Avoid hypocrisy. And I, I think I said four, but there's a fifth one. I'm sorry, five. This one is, I think, hit, hit, hit really deeply for me. Not my parents didn't do this to me, but I just, it's amazing how often we forget this. I think this is a really important one. Avoid humiliation. I would submit to you that intentionally humiliating your child is never given as in Scripture as a proper or appropriate uh, discipline strategy. Do not humiliate your child. There, is, there are few pains that young children seem to cope well with, like the pain of being embarrassed. And it's not just children. We too. Isn't it so horrible to be embarrassed, to be humiliated in front of a large group of people? I would rather have a lot of physical pain happen to me before I would have public humiliation. It's just awful. And believe it or not, it is not uncommon for parents to think it's okay to embarrass their children in front of their friends, embarrass them in front of a large group of people. Do not humiliate your children. So what does that look like? Uh, one of the ways that looks like is that uh, when you have to discipline your children, please do it privately. You don't need to spank them in front of their friends. You don't need to bring them up to the front and spank them in front of the whole church and make them example. If your children need a spanking, do it privately. If they need a talking to, do it privately. Don't embarrass your kids in front of their friends. Don't put your children down. Don't speak negatively of your children. Talk about their flaws and talk about the embarrassing things they do. Now, obviously, of course, you know, there, there is definitely room within families for, for gentle playing and poking, right? Of course, we, we tease each other, and that's okay. But I would even encourage you to be careful with the teasing. I'm not trying to be too legalistic here, but one thing that I have learned throughout my short life is that young children, even if it's a joke, if they hear it enough, they internalize it. Even if you're joking, if they hear it enough, they internalize it. So I would avoid at all costs putting your children down or embarrassing them or speaking negatively about them to their peers and in front of people. I, I just think we do not help our children obey us by humiliating them. So that's one extreme, oppressive parenting. But thankfully, Paul knows that it's possible to see these extremes. Parents who beat their kids excessively, parents who just mock these cold, rigid disciplinarians. And parents think, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be one of those strict, cruel, cold Pharisees. And so then they overcorrect and to the other error that I'm calling lenient parency. That might not be the best word. But Paul also wants us to avoid being too lenient. Because look at the second half of verse 4. But, so yes, we should not provoke their anger, but we should bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul is reminding parents that it is still their job to raise their children with discipline and instruction in the faith. Now, these two words that the, the ESV says, discipline and instruction. Your, your Bible's like if you have a King James, it might say nourishment and admonishment. They're translated a little differently. Uh, but one thing that I thought was amazing is that when you bring the two words together, which is what Paul does, he says, here's two things and do both of them. No matter all the translators, even if they translated the words differently, when they got down to their, so here's what this looks like, it was all exactly the same. So no matter what your individual words in your translation says, 
uh, all of the scholars and commentators would tell you that essentially these two things together uh, encompass training, education, discipline, and admonishment. Training, education, discipline, and admonishment. And so as I said, sometimes parents are so afraid of looking like these rigid Pharisees that they turn around and they essentially let their kids do whatever they want. They don't, I, as a matter of fact, I have heard Christian parents tell me in my lifetime, I have heard them say, we don't teach our children Christianity because my parents forced it upon me and I didn't like that. And so I don't want to force it upon them because I want them to discover it themselves. I want it to be their own faith. So I'm not going to teach them. They, they let their kids do whatever they want, whether it's in matters of faith or in matters of practice, because they don't want to be cruel or overly strict. And so essentially their children are raising themselves. But God has not designed us to operate like that in a fallen world. Not even in an unfallen world, but especially in a fallen world. Our children have a fallen nature, and they are always going to gravitate towards destruction and sin. They cannot raise themselves. They need discipline. They need instruction. We must train them and admonish them in obedience and holiness. So what does this mean? Number one, this means educate your children. You should be, and I'm going to use this word because I think it's an unavoidable word. I, I think everyone is doing this, not just Christians. Everyone is doing this. So I'm using this word intentionally. You should be indoctrinating them into the Christian faith. You should be teaching them to obey and believe Christian doctrines. In other words, you need to teach them not just what Christianity is, not just the faith, but how to examine and interpret the world around them through that faith. We, we sometimes call this a Christian worldview. Teach your children a Christian worldview. I like one commentator said it this way, turn your home into a mini seminary. All of our households should be little mini seminaries. Teaching our children what the Christian faith is and how to interpret the world through it. This also means disciplining and admonishing your children. You're going to need to spank your children. You're going to need to ground them. You're going to need to take things away from them. You're going to need to tell them no. You're going to need to discipline them. Admonishment, discipline, these are important things. And we can do these things without excessive cruelty. Without becoming oppressive and uncruel, we need to consistently show our children that disobedience to us is a very serious sin against God. In other words, don't be excessively cruel, but you cannot take disobedience lightly. It's a serious thing. So in short, Christians need to shoot for balance. We must be firm disciplinarians who do not take sin lightly without ever becoming cruel, oppressive judges whom our children despise and are afraid of, right? We want our homes to be filled with warmth and joy and freedom and relationship. And Paul believes we can accomplish that without sacrificing discipline and instruction. As a matter of fact, um, we don't have time to look at it, but I would encourage you to mark down Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, because there you will see the author of Hebrews tell us that when discipline is done right, it makes our children respect us more. It makes our children love us more. Discipline can be done right without sacrificing a home filled with warmth and joy, freedom, relationship, and happiness. So I, I, what I decided to do, just as we conclude with a couple more things, I want to give us, for, especially for our kids, oh man, Pastor Colin talked about a lot. <laughs> How do I remember all of it? If, Drew, if you'll flip over two slides, here's what you want, I want you to take home with you. Well-raised children who love Jesus 
will obey their parents and receive God's blessing. That's what Paul's trying to communicate to us. That well-raised children who love Jesus will obey their parents and they will receive God's blessing. Take that home with you. Study it. Ask your parents questions about it. Pray about it and seek to put it in your lives. And if you do, you will live long and you will prosper. Now, let me conclude with this. We, we technically still have one more week in Paul's household codes. We're going to take a break next week, and then we'll talk, finish it the week after. But this here ends the immediate family unit. So the past three weeks, Paul has given instructions to fathers, to mothers, and to children. And, and I would imagine that if you're anything like me, along the way, these three weeks, you probably have experienced some level of guilt. Perhaps that you've not lived up to some of the requirements that we've talked about. Maybe some of the wives in this room have really not been very submissive to their husbands. Maybe some of the husbands have abdicated their authority and refused to take responsibility. Your marriage fell apart. Your children resent you. Maybe we have kids in this room who have been particularly rebellious and they're intentionally making life too hard on their parents. What then? What if you've already messed up? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we breathe in new grace every morning. Because Christ has taken care of our sins, because we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, this makes every day a fresh opportunity from God to start over and to begin fresh and to begin new. In other words, Perhaps you've not done your job well in the past, but in Christ, it's never too late to start doing it well now. Confess your sin and then accept your forgiveness and start fresh. You have a new opportunity today to become the husband, the wife, the parents, or the child that the Lord Jesus is empowering you to be. It's never too late to begin. So you don't need to live with the shame. You don't need to live with the guilt. You can confess it. You can accept forgiveness. And you can wake up with joy and gladness seeking to be the husband, mother, father, parent, or child that the Lord Jesus calls you to be. You can be that today with a fresh start and a clean slate. In other words, we in this sermon series are thanking God for a gospel that enables us to become godly families and forgives us when we're not.